for singing out wonderfully tonight. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, if you will, with me this evening. Acts chapter 20, I want to talk to you tonight about what motivated the Apostle Paul or motivation by freedom or freedom, of, freedom in Christ, our motivation. We paused for the last time in 2022 to look at our theme that we've carried throughout the year this theme of free in Christ. And I want you to look with me, verses 17 through 27 here in Acts 20. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befall me by the lion and weight of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. I want you to notice that phrase. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we see tonight, the Apostle Paul, as we look at a life that was spent for you, a life that was motivated for the gospel, Lord, I pray that we would see that motivation and Lord, may we realize tonight that we have the same motivation to drive us forward, to push us, to minister. Lord, to cause us to chase after hard that relationship with you we talked about this morning. Lord, as we are encouraged tonight about the freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, I thank you that we are not in bondage. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not in bondage to religion. I'm not in bondage to a set of rules. I'm not in bondage to a culture. But rather, I am freed. I am made whole. I am cleansed. I am purified in Christ. I sit together in heavenly places. Lord, you see me tonight as pure and clean and whole. Lord, as we examine and think tonight a little bit about thy servant, Lord, may we see that motivation. Lord, as we have spent this year focusing on that freedom, 
and what it means to us. Lord, I pray again you'd work in our hearts. Help us. Help me tonight. Lord, I need your help. Lord, empower me to preach with boldness your truth. Lord, may you be glorified tonight for all that's said and done. Thank you for such a wonderful day. Thank you for your blessings you've given, blessings we yet to receive. May you be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In chapter 20, and we spent some time looking at this just recently. In chapter 20, we find that the Apostle Paul was taking some time as God gave him the words to prepare those that had followed him, those he had ministered to, and those he had ministered with in his generation, preparing them for his death. He knows the end is very soon. In verse 24, he makes a statement, even though he knows death is certain and death is soon for him. He even says, some of you are not going to see me again. This is it. In verse 24, we see that powerful statement, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. He concludes that he's not worried about what's going to happen. He states in that same verse, God gave him to pen so that I might finish my course with joy. It seems like today in our culture that if somebody says something off to us, we're ready to throw in the towel. We get the least bit of, you know, an offense against what we're trying to do and we want to quit. If life gets the least bit hard. I had a little Ford Festiva years ago. How many have ever seen a Ford Festiva? My dad called it a tin can with wheels. That's about all it was. It was uh, made by Kia. I think back in the day, Kia made them for Ford. And uh, there was a little cage under the hood with a squirrel in it. And you dropped a nut every once in a while, and the squirrel ran, and that's how the car drove. And uh, on the advertising for the vehicle, under the zero to 60 times, you know, the, the Tesla S Plaid that I got a ride in a few months ago, zero to 60 miles an hour, two seconds. That's crazy. I'm telling you, it's insane. Under the zero to 60 time on the Ford Festiva, the zero to 60, maybe. <laughs> it might get there eventually. It wasn't very powerful. But I drove that little car, and I drove it back when I was helping. We were establishing some ministry that had fallen off in some far suburbs of Chicago. And if you know anything about the geography around Chicago, I lived in Indiana. Our church was on the Illinois border. We were about 30 minutes from downtown Chicago, and we had had some ministry out in Aurora and Joliet, Illinois. And if you know the geography, that's a ways out. And I went out. I was sent out to Aurora. I think they wanted to get rid of me. No, I was going out to reestablish some, some bus routes and ministry there, and I still have some dear friends that live there. I talked to them just a few weeks ago. Uh, wonderful, wonderful family. Uh, but I went out there, and during that time that I was driving all the way out to Aurora and back for ministry, I was doing that in my Ford Festiva. Me, about 10 miles down the road, I'd finally get to about 55, 60 miles an hour. 
And it wasn't very powerful, but it eventually would get there. It was a little manual transmission, a little manual gearbox. And had it been an automatic, Jim, I'd still be trying to hit 50 miles an hour. But something happened one night on my way to Bible college. I was driving that little car from my house in Gary, Indiana, where I lived, murder capital of the world at the time. And I was driving from Gary, Indiana to Crown Point, where the college is. And I made it to the college fine on the way home that night. It was like the little bit of power that I had was starting to disappear. It was like that little squirrel that lived in the cage was starting to die, Jim. And, and it was like, and I'd press the gas. And even though it wasn't powerful, it had even less power until finally I, w- I was on the throttle as far as I could go. And I downshifted. It was like in second gear. I was like, I died on the side of the road. A little windy stretch of nothing there. No, it's not rural, but almost a little rural area between. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Lord, what is wrong with this car? Like, I had some power. Not much, but I ran out of power. And I got out of the vehicle to do what every man does. How many of you know what every man has to do when a car breaks down? You pop the hood first. You get out, and you stare at it. I'm not sure why, Jim, but that's what we do. We have to stare at it. And I am somewhat mechanically inclined, but I was going to try to check it out a bit. But mainly I was going to do the typical, what's wrong? I got out of the vehicle and I started to walk around to the front. The hood's about that long. And as I went to walk around, it looked like I had down lighting under the vehicle. I know many of you have seen that LED lighting, projection lighting under the vehicle. First time I ever saw that was on my senior trip in New York City in 1993. I was on a Porsche 911 pulled up beside of us. I had never seen a Porsche 911 in my life in person, and I had never seen lighting under a vehicle. As an 18-year-old, almost 18-year-old kid, I went, whoa, look at that. Nowadays, it's commonplace. You see it on dump trucks. But it looked like I had, like, glow, and I looked under the vehicle. Of course, you know, I got about this much ground clearance. I looked under the vehicle, and... The catalytic converter, Joel, was the color of Tim's shirt. It was glowing cherry red. And the hillbilly farmer uh, mechanic brain of mine went, oh, I know the problem. The inside of that catalytic converter is a honeycomb. And it melted. (laughs) And it plugged itself off which meant no air could get through, and an engine is basically a pump. It pumps air through, and you can't. You block the pump, and it's not going to run. And so I did what you're not supposed to do. What I should have done is I should have gone and gotten a catalytic converter installed. But Brother Maude, I went home. I finally waited till it cooled down enough. I could drive it home spitting and sputtering. The next day, I jacked it off the ground. I took out the catalytic converter. I got a long extension, about that long, with a gem and a hammer, and I beat all the honeycomb out of that catalytic converter, hollowed it out, put it back up, and I had a Harley-Davidson Ford Festiva, and it ran, but it really spit and sputtered and struggled. It was stopped by that which was holding it back. Now, a lot of us, our service for Christ 
may not be that Porsche 911. But I would hope that all of us would be going forward like that little Ford Festiva always did for me. But sometimes we get stalled out. Sometimes we get stopped on the highway of ministry, the highway of service. And I want to see tonight some things from the life and the ministry of Paul. And I'm going to try to hasten. I, I got, I've got a destination. I got somewhere I want to go. But I got a few little stops along the way. I want to take you on with me as we get there. But Paul said, so that I might finish my course with joy. What caused Paul to have that kind of dedication? What caused Paul, although he faced horrible, I mean, imagine this, every place Paul went, everywhere. He'd go to the Jews, and the Jews would say, we want nothing to do with you. But he preached the gospel to them. And Josh, you can probably sympathize with that feeling. Uh, Josh spent all summer trying to share the gospel with uh, Jews, and uh, they, they probably rejected you a bunch. You know a little bit what Paul felt like. However, did they beat you? That's unfortunate. You didn't get the whole meal deal that Paul got. But they not only rejected him, but they'd beat him. They'd throw him in prison. They'd whip him. They'd stone him. Everywhere Paul went. And yet when he left that one town, he'd go to the next and do the same thing again. After a while, you'd think someone would have said to Paul, Maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you need to find a different line of work. Maybe this isn't the ministry you should do. I mean, Paul, I mean, think about it. You're not very successful here. And by the world standards, he wasn't. And yet he said, these don't move me. I want to finish my course. What was it that motivated him? Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 26 over just a couple of pages. I want you to look with me at verses 13 through 20. This is Paul's testimony. And by the way, when I say testimony, I mean it in two senses. When you share Christ with someone, you tell someone what Christ did for you, that's your testimony. But it wasn't just Paul sharing his testimony. This is Paul testifying in court. The Bible tells us here at verse 13, at midday... O king, now, and I'll get the setting, he's, he's speaking to King Agrippa. He's answering. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven. Above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I shall appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan into God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and inheritance among which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon Paul said, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed, them for, showed first unto them of Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, and they should, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. What a testimony. What a testimony. Paul said, I, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. How was it Paul wasn't disobedient? Now, as I said, I've got somewhere I want us to get to, but I want to give you a couple of points along the way. Number one, Paul was motivated by the fact that he could not forget his encounter with the Lord. I want to ask you, Christian, do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when you came to the realization that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to earth and died in your place and bore your sin. And it wasn't religion. It wasn't good works. It wasn't anything he wanted from you. He simply offered to you the gift of eternal life. Do you remember the day you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ? I was in a little camper trailer in Gillette, Wyoming, beside of my dad's rocking chair. I can still see my mom had a big spider plant. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the big spider plant. My mom had this enormous spider plant. Hung by my dad's chair, came almost to the ground. I can still see it in my mind's eye. There beside of that chair. 42 years ago, I bowed my knee and called on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. There's never been a time for me that I've ever said, man, I wonder, I wonder if I'm really saved. I wonder if God really meant it. I don't think there was ever a time for Paul where he ever wondered, man, I wonder what really happened. No, he, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Christian, if you're truly born again, if you came to him, you may not have heard his voice, but you read his word and he heard you. And you called unto him. Paul couldn't forget his encounter with the Lord. He shared it with King Agrippa. He talked about Jesus being the light. By the way, the Bible is the light of the world. Or Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, he tells us that. Paul told Agrippa, I love the phraseology God gave in his word. He said, above the brightness of the sun. Well, the chummy had a bright light back there for taking pictures of uh, his head. Then he had another light too, but it was a bright light, but it wasn't a blinding light. I got to tell a story. I got to step away from the pulpit for a minute. I heard a joke. How many of you want to hear a joke? I need to tell a joke. I'm from West Virginia. We have a bunch. How many of you know there's hillbillies in West Virginia? This old hillbilly was coming out of the woods one night. He's dragging a bear. We have bears down in the mountains, West Virginia. He's dragging this bear out of the bush. And he met the game warden, Brother Darren, the first night he ever killed a deer. 
game warden showed up. I was there. It was awesome. I wish we should have had video of that, Rebecca. Josh was there. Rebecca was there. It was awesome. We pulled in. He's gutting his deer. And not only the game warden, but also the RCMP lights flashing. Darren's bent down inside the deer. He stands up with his hands like this because they're covered in blood. Caught him red-handed. But this old hillbilly walked out of the bush and coming off the mountain with his bear. He met the game warden. You don't want to meet the game warden when you're a hillbilly because you don't always, the hillbillies don't always follow all the rules. And the game warden said to this guy, his name was Bubba, said, Bubba, where'd you find that bear? He said, oh, just, you know, up here up the mountain a little ways. He said, what'd you shoot him with? He said, I shot him here with this, my 30 out six. He said, how many shots did it take? He said, well, I'm a good shot. I only shot one time. The game warden started checking the bear over, started looking at the bear, and realized that he shot the bear right between his eyes. And then he saw all kinds of other blood and was trying to figure out what was going on. He looked, and there's a hole in this paw, and there's a hole in this paw. And he said, Bubba, you, you shot that bear three times. He said, I did not. He said, I shot one time. He said, there's three holes in that bear, Bubba. How did you get three holes in that bear? You shot him one time. He said, well, sirs, he said, when you shine the lights in the eyes, they always do this. But anyway, that's not part of the story. But the light, the light of Jesus Christ was brighter than the sun. Paul said, I saw a light that was brighter than the sun. He said, Agrippa, let me tell you about Jesus, the Savior. Paul never got over that encounter with Christ. He couldn't forget it. Jesus, as I mentioned, is the light of the world. He, God's word is a light, Psalm 119. We won't take time to look at all of it tonight. A light into our feet, a lamp into our path. Paul never got over it. That's his motivation partially was that. Paul was changed. Paul was changed. Paul was on his way, on the road. He had a purpose. His purpose was singular. It was focused. His purpose was to find people of the way. We call them Christians now. That started in Antioch after but Paul would have called them people of the way, followers of Jesus. His goal was to find the people of the way and to arrest them. That was his purpose. Paul met Jesus. And Paul's entire purpose in life changed. He couldn't forget that encounter. Verse 14 in our text in verse 26 in chapter 26 it says when we were all fallen to the earth i heard a voice speaking unto me and saying now i want you to notice these few words in the hebrew tongue can i tell you that when god spoke to paul and god spoke audibly to paul He's not going to do that for you today. We have his complete word. But when God spoke to Paul, he spoke in his language. You know, those 
those that would try to twist Scripture and, and, and call tongues heavenly language uh, that have no understanding of doctrine and New Testament Scripture uh, would have a problem with that because that means God didn't speak a heavenly language. He spoke Hebrew. Why? So Paul could understand him. He heard him in his, his tongue. He never forgot it. Christian, do you remember when you heard the word of God, really heard it for the first time? Do you remember when it was real for you? How many of you remember in Sunday school, maybe your teacher had you quote the verse John 3, 16. Some of you, they had the privilege to grow up in church, in a gospel preaching church. Praise God for that. Maybe your Sunday school teacher had you quote John 3.16 and you said, for God so loved the world. And maybe as you memorized that verse, your teacher said, okay, now when you read that verse, I want you to take that word world and instead of saying world, I want you to say your name. And I remember as I would say, for God so loved Brian that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can I tell you the word of God is for you and for me. Paul never forgot God's word. Why was Paul able to say, oh, yes, I've been beaten. Yes, I've been stoned. I've gone through a lot. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in the deep. I've been, I believe, left for dead. I believe he literally may have died at Lystra and God raised him again. But he said, I'm going to finish with joy. It doesn't move me. That's not going to stop me. What was his motivation? I said he couldn't forget his encounter with Jesus Christ. He couldn't forget the word of God. I believe everywhere Paul went, he heard the voice of God. Christian, are you in the word of God enough that everywhere you go, God's word comes to your mind? It comes to your mind. Brother Jim mentioned Brother Terry always with God's word right there on the tip of his tongue. You know how that gets there? Not by accident. By being saturated. The other day I stuck a screw in the end of my finger. I think I'm going to become a mortician because I figured out the best way to bleed a human body. There is a spot. I know exactly where it is. I can show you. I took my bandage off right here. That if you stab that, every drop of blood tries to come out of your body at one time. It's just really easy. You just stab them, put their arm over the thing, they bleed out. I'm sure that's the way they do it. Morticians do it. But I, I stabbed myself with a screw, just a, not a big hole, but it wouldn't stop bleeding. I thought I was going to bleed out from a screw. Uh, just was, was coming out. Just the blood was everywhere, and I'm trying to contain it and trying to keep it from getting everywhere. Is the word of God coming out of you? I believe Paul heard that word and over and over and over, motivated by that voice, by that word. The Bible says that Paul and Silas were in prison. And they weren't singing the blues. They weren't singing Johnny Cash songs about the Folsom prison and the train and oh, woe is me. But they were singing. The Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God in prison. They didn't know what was going to happen yet, but they sang praises to God.
I don't know what they sang. I'd like to have been there. I personally don't think Saul could probably carry a tune in a bucket. I think he don't think he was a good singer. I envision Paul sounding almost as bad as uh, some other dear brothers in Christ whose names I won't mention tonight, who I love very much, who live in this room. <laughs> I, I don't think Paul was a good singer. I don't think Paul was very good to look at either. I believe if, if you and I saw Paul tonight, we'd go, really? <laughs> that was Paul? But he sang praises to God. Amen. He heard that word. He heard the word of God. John 10, 27 says, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Christian, are you listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to his voice? Are you letting all the voices get muddled? Paul heard God's voice. Number three in verse 16 in our text. And I've got to hurry. It says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and those things which I will appear unto thee. Why did Paul stay motivated? I believe number three, he couldn't ignore his call. He couldn't ignore his call. I mentioned my grandfather this morning. I've got in my office several pieces of memorabilia in the glass cabinet there in my office. I have a few things, several things of my grandfather's. There's a stuffed bear there in my office in that cabinet. If you look at it, it's made with a kind of a gingham material and a canvas material. It's odd material for a stuffed bear to be made out of. It's because it was made by my mother. It was made with the gingham material of one of my grandmother's dresses after she passed. And the canvas material is from my grandfather's military duffel bag from World War II. My grandfather heard the call of his country. As a young married man, I see Dolan Nobel, and they're excited for the baby to come. I'm so excited for you. I think of young couples who are excited for starting their lives together and how wonderful that is. My grandfather did not know it yet, but he was expecting a little baby girl, newly married. And yet, because his country called, he answered and left a farm boy from the hills of West Virginia to go to become a soldier. Paul heard a call much greater than the call my grandfather heard. Paul heard of a need much more vast than the need for men to fight for freedom. And I'm not belittling that call. Don't misunderstand me tonight. Paul heard a call of souls that needed to hear the answer. Do you know why that call meant so much to him? The same reason the folks that lived on the streets meant so much to Brother Terry. 
because he was there. He'd received the answer. Paul was an enemy of God, and Paul, who had been at odds with God and hated Christ, was now free. And he realized there were others that needed the message that he had received. He had a call that he could not ignore. He considered that call a high call. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We won't take time to look at that passage tonight. We see a further dedication was called in Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize that I call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul kept going full throttle. Why? Because he realized the greatness of the call, the need. By the way, he didn't preach any other gospel. He continued, the Bible says, both night and day, witnessing both small and great. And none of the things. He just kept preaching the gospel. His message never changed. Romans 9 says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul realized the fact that people were dying and going to hell. All of these things, I believe, kept Paul motivated and kept him pushing forward. But would you turn to Romans 8 with me? Romans 8. But I believe of all the things that motivated the great apostle Paul, of all the things that caused him to say, I want to finish my course with joy. None of these things move me. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter number 8 and verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you what motivated the great apostle Paul? What ought to motivate you and I believers tonight is that freedom in Christ, that that love of Christ, I cannot be separated from it. There's nothing I can do where God is going to look and say, hey, I made a mistake. I don't want you anymore. I, I don't love you anymore. I don't care about you anymore. I know some of you tonight in your past, you carry some heavy, dark burdens, some relationships maybe, family relationships, maybe a spouse, maybe a father, a mother that said, hey, I don't want you anymore. I understand that. I'm not belittling that. I know the hurt of that, but I want you to know tonight that God will never, never reject you. Amen. Paul said, I know there's nothing. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. Paul wasn't saying, I got to do something. I got to serve him because if I don't, he won't love me anymore. Baloney. That's right. Never once was that a motivation we find in Scripture. That's right. 
Never once did Paul say, okay, I gotta, I gotta make sure I earn what God's given me. No, sir, no, ma'am. It was not Paul saying, I'm gonna make sure that I keep God happy. You know, we've got a phrase in our culture. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You ever heard that before? We joke about that. But sadly, too often, we believe that it's my job to keep God happy. It's my job to keep God loving me. We sometimes feel that every day God puts us in the balance and he weighs and tries to decide. Do I still love them? I love the story told of Dr. John R. Rice as he was in the backseat of a car traveling with another preacher. His wife looked over. I think I shared just a week or two ago and said, John R., do you love me? And he said, yes, I love you. That doesn't sound very emotional, does it? That, that was John R. Rice. And she said, John R., why do you love me? He said, because God told me to. How many of you wives would appreciate if your husband was a little more romantic than that? Some of you, like, I think I'm married to John R. Rice. And Mrs. Rice, I think she was in her 80s, looked at Dr. Rice and said, John R., that doesn't turn me on. And the preacher that I heard tell the story was in the car said, Dr. Rice looked over and said, it won't turn me off either. You can't turn off the love of God either. When we live with the thought process that I've got to make sure that I do this or that, I've got to make sure that I measure up to a standard that God says, okay, now I accept you. Now I want you. As long as we live with that kind of attitude that there's something I can do to make God love me more or to make God accept me more or to keep myself in him, I'm living the wrong focus. Paul didn't live with that focus. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers, there's absolutely nothing can ever separate me from the love of Christ. Paul said that day, a grip of that day when I saw the light brighter than the sun and God called unto me from that moment until I see his face, I'm in his love. It was that freedom that Paul had, I believe, that was the driving motivation for the ministry of the great apostle. Why have we spent a year focusing on freedom in Christ? Because I want it to be that motivation for you and for me to understand what we have, not what we will have one day, what we have now in Christ. I, God looks at me and he sees me as clean, as pure, as holy. Am I? No. But that's the way God sees me. Why? Because I am in Christ already. I'm forgiven forever. I'm in his love. I am freed from the penalty and bondage of sin. It matters not how severe the storms. Paul went through some storms. It matters not how difficult the situations become. Paul went through some difficult situations. 
It matters not how trying the test may develop. Paul was tested. It matters not how dismal the day may appear. I'm reminded of Paul for several days on that boat and they never saw the sun. It matters not. How fitting we sang tonight, the love of God. The love of God. The love of God will always be the victor. Always. What motivates you? Sadly, many of us are motivated by fear. We're motivated, oh, I don't want to displease the Lord. Can I tell you, he's pleased with you. Pastor, does that mean I should just I do whatever I want and live however I want because God doesn't care? No, not at all. It means that we need to recognize who we are already in Christ and live with that recognition of who we are. I'm in him. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And that should be that driving force as we worship him, as we live for him, as we serve him. May we do so as we understand fully the motivation of realizing we are free in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I love that passage in Romans. Lord, as Paul said, as was penned, your perfect, preserved, inspired word. Lord, I believe it with all my heart tonight. There is nothing that can separate me from your love. You decided you loved me while I was yet a sinner. You died for me while I was unlovely. Lord, you don't decide every day. You decided forever ago. Before you created all things. You planned ahead. You predestinated that I would be made into the image of your son. Lord, how wonderful that truth. How great is grace. Lord, that wonderful song we sang tonight, the love of God is rich. Pure Lord, it is so rich. Lord, I pray that we let it be that motivation we need. God, would you work in us and through us this evening. God, would you work in our hearts during this time of invitation. Lord, I pray your will be done this evening. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us tonight, Brother Colton? Would you lead us in a song of invitation? Number 482, Where He Leads Me. Number 482. I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow, follow.
one more verse for you husbands out there. What she feeds me, I will swallow. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. That love that we cannot change, that nothing can remove, that constant that never changes. Lord, we praise you for it. We thank you for it. God, help us to be reminded of it daily. God, help us to allow that to be that anchor, that focus, that motivation, the freedom in Christ because of the love of God. Lord, bless us now as we leave this place. Help us to worship you. Lord, as we talked about this morning, help us to pursue a closer relationship. And God, help us to stay going forward as we are driven by that purpose of your love for us. And bless us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen.